0: Good evening, Harvest. Uh, it is so good to be back with you. Uh, greetings from uh, your your daughter, Grace Fellowship. Um, thank you for the opportunity to be here again uh, tonight. I'm still processing, getting over the fact that Mike McGee thought of entourage on the fly. That's amazing to me. I didn't know entourage started with E, so that's that's really. I know, I know, brother Mike. So. Um, uh, in terms of where we're at as a church, um, I've decided tonight that we're just going to push off particularization because I like being a baby of harvest. Um, uh, no, the Lord has has been so kind and gracious. I really appreciate Pastor Wayne's prayer. Um, that means a lot. And your prayers for us as we uh, seek to uh, particularize, Lord willing, in May. And uh, the Lord has provided a building for us. Um, if you're ever in Zealand, because I know there's lots of great reasons to come to Zealand, um, Right by the Dollar General on Main is our new facility. Um, so uh, I'd love for you to come and, and see it. If you're in the area and you want to contact me, I'd love to show it to you. But uh, our hope is to move in um, in March as we make uh, final preparations for that. So just so much to be thankful for. Um, and, and we just really are so thankful for, for you, for Harvest Church. So thank you. Uh, this evening, I invite you to take out your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Hebrews. As we consider together chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, especially verse 16. As we begin a new year and as we think about prayer dependency and what, what, what does that mean? What does that look like to lean in on God's power? Hebrews chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. This is God's Word. Since then we have a great high priest In time of need, let's ask God's blessing. Oh God, we come to you this evening into this awesome text of scripture, and we pray that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in it, that you would liberate us, Lord, from the bondage of trusting in ourselves and in our own power and strength, that you would show us our need, show us our weakness, and show us your sufficiency and your strength. Lord, make us a praying people, make Harvest a praying church, make Grace Fellowship a praying church, make all the churches represented here tonight praying churches, and and make our homes praying homes, and make us praying Christians. Father, please do this in us and through us, and we will give you all the praise in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I suppose that by now I should know just how difficult prayer really is. I think it's one of the hardest things that we do. I know a lot about prayer, and I'm sure most of you know a lot of things about prayer. We have a working theology of prayer, um, and yet, isn't it the case that so often there's a gap between what we know and how we actually pray? Uh, Satan isn't all that intimidated by our theology of prayer, uh, but he certainly is intimidated when we get on our knees. That's where the power is. One of our core values at Grace Fellowship is prayer dependency. Of course, it'd be sort of hard to imagine a church plant that developed core values that doesn't have prayer in the midst of some of their essentials. And yet, what would it look like uh, to go from uh, words on a website to actuality, to to practice, to being a a, a people, a church who who, who leans in on prayer, what would that look like? What would that look like as we begin begin a new year, 2021, for our homes and for you as an individual to to be prayer dependent? What does that even mean? What does it take to to get to that point? Prayer doesn't happen overnight. We can't microwave a program. It's not just something that we can simply resolve. It's learned over time, over experience, a lot of times through suffering and trial as things are taken away from us. And we, we learn, don't we, through the discipline often of the Lord that all we have left is Christ and this wonderful means that He has given to us to commune with the living God in prayer. But for us to grow in this wonderful means of grace, I think we need to have more than uh, just resolve. We need to have a couple of convictions. We need to know how weak we are, first of all, and we need to know, secondly, how strong He is. It's very simple, and yet it's one of the hardest things to live out. First of all, then, let's consider, as we look at the text, the weakness we bring in our prayer, the weakness we bring. The book of Hebrews was uh, written to... Uh, Jewish Christians who had been recently converted out of Judaism, uh, but were now experiencing significant persecution. And as a result, were tempted to go back under that old system of things, under the law, under Moses. And uh, this is really a, a sermon, an exhortation, where the author pleads with the listeners uh, to hold fast to their confession. Why? Well, not because life is going to get any easier for them, but because of the sufficiency and the supremacy of who Jesus is and all that He has accomplished. Because only in Jesus do we have the forgiveness of our sins. Only in the power of Christ are we sustained in this journey to heaven. And so, it is an exhortation. These Hebrew believers were weak. They were vulnerable. And so are we. And so are we. Our circumstances might differ from theirs quite a bit. We might have different temptations, and yet we face very much the same, the, the, the same doubts, the same trials, the same tendency to give in to the worldly flesh we're weak. In fact, the text actually lets us know that. Jesus, through his word, reminds us of that. In verse 15, uh, mentions their weaknesses. Of course, it's referring there to Jesus who is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but it assumes there that we are weak. Uh, The word weaknesses there is almost untranslatable. It it has to do with the human condition, body and soul. We're weak physically, uh, but we're also spiritually weak as we face Trials. We're weak to bear underneath those trials. When we face temptations, we're, we're weak to say no to those strong things that pull us away from, uh, from the Word of God. We're weak people. And it seems to me that this is one of the great obstacles to prayer dependency. Uh, we think that we're stronger than we actually are. We think we're stronger than we actually are. Uh, we, we don't see ourselves as desperately weak. At least we don't consistently. Well, how can we be so sure that we don't see ourselves as weak as we still think we're, we're strong? How do we know? Well, uh, just think about your prayer life the last week or two. What are some things that you prayed for and what are some things that you neglected to pray for? And, and, and what do those things tell you about your view of you? H. B. Charles Jr. was right when he said, the things you pray about are the things you trust God to handle, and the things you don't pray about are the things you trust you can handle on your own. So as we take some inventory about our own personal prayer lives, it, 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 it's very easy to see, isn't it, that we're still trusting in ourselves too often because of what we don't pray for. Our lack of prayer isn't just a bad habit. It isn't just a bad resolution. It goes far deeper than that. By our silence in prayer, we're actually making a profound statement. We're actually saying, in a sense, by not saying anything in prayer, uh, that we're okay on our own. That we as churches and we as households and we as individuals... We don't really need that much help, that we're strong, not weak. We're capable, not vulnerable. We're safe. We're not in danger. We're healthy. We're not sick. We're put together. We're not falling apart. But here, of course, is the great paradox. While the world is constantly telling us that you're strong, the truth is that strength is found in acknowledging our weakness. That is when we will start to pray and really pray when we sense how weak we really are. Paul Tripp put it this way it's only when we are willing to give up on us that we seek the rescue that God offers. Hopelessness, he says, is the doorway to hope. Seeing yourself as hopeless and helpless is if left to yourself, initiates and ignites your pursuit of God's grace. So the the question is, are you and I willing to admit that tonight? Are we willing to admit our weakness? That despite perhaps outward appearances, we're incredibly broken, desperately vulnerable, and thoroughly weak. it's, It's there in weakness where prayer will begin to germinate. I love the prayer of Jehoshaphat in the Old Testament who said, We are powerless, and we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's a really great perspective to have at the beginning of a new year. We're powerless. We don't know what to do, but we know where to look. We know where strength is found. But that's just the first part, the first conviction we must have is the acknowledgement and, and, and really the, the, the sense of how weak we are, which God shows us in a variety of different ways in our Christian experience. But secondly, we, we must also understand another conviction and hold it close, and that is the welcome that we get when we go to God in prayer the welcome that we get. Who who is this God? What is He like? When we pray through Jesus, what will we find when we get there? Where do we go when we pray? Well, from the text, let's consider a few things this evening. First, we come to a Savior who who sits, who sits, It's on this basis alone that we can come, the fact that Jesus has sat down at the right hand of the Father, or according to verse 14, this Savior has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. He has already gone into the Holy of Holies, and He has sat down at the Father's right hand. In other words, the work of His redemption is complete. He took on flesh, He obeyed the law, He died on the cross for sinners, He rose again from the dead, He ascended into heaven where now He sits with highest authority. And where does He sit? He sits on a throne, a glorious throne, which John captures for us. For example, in Revelation chapter 4, a a, a throne where, where the elders fall down and give this Christ worship and who gather around the throne and give him glory. Jesus is on that throne. And so we come to the Father through the Son, but we also in prayer come to Jesus himself who is seated on a throne in, in splendor and majesty, who loved us and gave himself for us. And so when we come to the throne room, where do we go? We, we come to the throne of grace. That, that's where we go to the throne of grace. We don't come to Mount Sinai any longer. In Jesus Christ, we don't come to the law any longer, which points out all of our failures and all of our failings and all of our shortcomings. When we come to God in prayer, when we come to the throne, we come to the throne of grace where Jesus Himself reigns who is full of grace and truth. Now this idea is was absurd to a first century Jewish person. This idea of coming into the presence of a holy God. Just one man, once a year, on the Day of Atonement, was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. But now, the author of Hebrews exhorts these Christians tempted to go back And he says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. With confidence. On what basis can you and I come to the throne? Not on the basis of our sincerity or the clarity of our prayers, but on the basis of the blood of Jesus Christ. We tend to think, don't we, that, well, if I've had a good night, if I've had a good week, I can come with confidence to the throne. If I've read my Bible every day this week, if I'm still perfect in, Jan, in this new year for my Bible reading checklist, then I can come with confidence. If I said no last night uh, to that, that besetting sin temptation, if I had victory, then I can come with confidence. But what this text is telling us tonight is that when we fall for the thousandth time, you can come with confidence. It's telling us tonight that when we don't even know what to pray for, we can come with confidence. It's telling us that when we don't even feel like praying, we can still come to the throne. Why? Because it's a throne of grace. It's the throne of grace. Christ is there, and the work has been completed, and he's sat down at the Father's right hand. But what about when we don't know what to say? Anyone like that? The tsunami of life pushing in. We know we're supposed to pray. Here's another January 3 message on prayer. I don't know where to begin. Life is too difficult. Life is too too heavy right now, maybe, in your life, and you don't know where to start. What then? Can we come to the throne in confidence? Spurgeon tells us the great illustration of, of a child who uh, is stammering, uh, trying to get words out. But he can't. He can't come up with the right vocabulary. He can't come up with the right words. And, and the father or the mother... Uh, gently lowers themselves down to their level and, and they know exactly what the child is trying to say. And, and so maybe the dad or the mom actually finishes the sentence for the child. And, and Spurgeon said that gives you a sense of what it's like for the Spirit to intercede for us and for Christ to intercede for us with groanings too deep for words when we don't even know what to say. The Father knows what we need. We can have confidence. We come to a Savior who sits and His work is finished, but we also come, secondly, to a priest who pleads, don't we? This is what Hebrews is all about, showing the, the uh, superiority of Jesus to all the Old Testament priesthood and system. Jesus is our great high priest, not just one among a long line of many, but Jesus the final one, the ultimate one, whose sacrifice was once for all. Unlike the other priests who first had to make a payment for their own sins, Jesus was sinless. And because he was sinless, he was qualified to take our sin upon himself. And, and because he rose from the dead, he lives forever. And, and his sacrifice no longer has to be repeated year after year after year. This is what Hebrews is teaching and pleading It's on this basis that you can hold fast your confession of Christ because by His death, He saves, as we sang tonight, the the vilest offender to the uttermost by His blood. There's nothing lacking in His atonement, in other words. And so we confess that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. Some of you at the end of a long day. What do you do? You sit down. Put your feet up finally. Finally. His work is complete. It's finished. But is He done ministering to us? Well, no, we also have New Testament evidence that Jesus is, in this sense, both seated and standing. And what is He doing standing up in the throne room? He's praying. And who's He praying for? He's praying for you. That's a staggering thing to hear. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. He's praying for us. He is ever living to make intercession for us. And here's the thing. The one who prays for us gets us. He, he's, not a, he's not aloof. He's not aloof. He understands us. That's what Hebrews is saying in verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. He gets us, says one commentator. Jesus is no Pharisee, rolling his eyes when we fail. No, Jesus actually sympathizes with us when we're weak and where we're weak. As a loving high priest, he empathizes with the areas where we suffer deficiencies. It's also amazing to think, isn't it, of the fact that Jesus, when he took on flesh in his incarnation, which we have celebrated this last month, that he continues to be in flesh. You ever thought about that? He didn't just assume flesh for 30, 33 years and then then go back into heaven as only divine. No, when he decided to take on flesh, he decided to take on flesh forever. So when we're in heaven for 10,000 years and just getting started worshiping Christ, we'll come before the presence of the God-man who has our flesh. Why does that matter? Well, among many things, because He can sympathize with us. He gets us. He gets our temptations. He never yielded, which means He gets them far better than we get them. Because He never gave in to them. It's an amazing thing, isn't it, that we come to this Jesus? We come to one who pleads for us when Satan tempts us and accuses us, the great accuser, and tells us of the guilt within, as the hymn puts it, upward we look and see him there who put an end to all my sin. And he reminds the Father, that's one of mine. So in prayer, we, by faith through Christ, come to a Savior who sits, whose work is finished. We come to a a prophet and a priest who, who, who pleads for us well lastly we come to a king we come to a king who gives how often do we think this way when we pray that when we pray we come before a king and as a king he lacks no resources does he Spurgeon says, We do not come to the back door of the house of mercy to receive the broken scraps, though, that were more than we deserve, he adds. To eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table is more than we could claim. But when we pray, we are standing in the palace on the glittering floor of the great king's own reception room. We stand where angels bow with veiled faces, And shall we come there with stunted requests, Spurgeon asks? Nay, it becomes not a king to be given away pence and groats. He distributes pieces of broad gold. He scatters not as poor men must, scraps of bread and broken meat, but he makes a feast of fat things, of fat things full of marrow. This morning at Grace Fellowship, we we sung a hymn that isn't that familiar, but one of the lines in it says... You are coming to a king, large petitions with you bring, for his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. Are we, are we coming to our Father that way? Are we coming to Jesus that way? To a king who loves to lavish good gifts upon us, who loves to extend mercy to us when we have fallen, who loves to provide grace in that moment of temptation in our time of need. That's who Jesus is. That's who welcomes us when we pray. The question is tonight, are we making use of this incredible privilege? And if we're not, then then why aren't we? Perhaps it's because we still don't sense how needy we really are, and of course, this will be a lifelong endeavor where we grow in it and, and struggle to believe it and, and then learn it again, sometimes the hard way. But maybe, maybe we're still trying to handle things on our own. Or could it be that we haven't grasped, and of course we won't grasp it fully, all that we have in Jesus Christ? all that has already been accomplished on our behalf. While God is merciful even now to us, we are invited to take our prayerlessness to Him. Ask Him tonight, Harvest Church, to show you your weakness and your need and show him and ask him to show you his strength and his generosity and his glory and his grace. And then come and keep coming and keep coming. When you don't know what to say, come. When you're full of jubilant praise, come in prayer. When you're broken and and, and, and overwhelmed, come. When you're tempted to sin, come. When life is going well, come. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Well, that's, a, that's an everyday thing. So this is a daily invitation. Oh, may the Lord make it be a Harvest Church and in your homes and in your lives that prayer dependency wouldn't just be something that we slap on a on a website but something we are, in the good times and the tough times, that we would learn again what we learned as children. I am weak, but he is strong. And let's watch how the Lord answers our prayers in ways above and beyond all that we could ask or imagine. Not always in the way that we think he should, but always faithfully, always wisely, always in mercy, and always with grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this reminder tonight of prayer and how it reorients us, Lord, to things that are true. Lord, the world is constantly telling us the message that we are strong in and of ourselves. And at the beginning of a new year, uh, we are called upon by this culture to, to resolve ourselves and our strength and to, to, to make plans. And, and Lord, plans are good and resolutions are fine, but, but Lord, may we see and learn and sense and feel the weight and the reality of our weakness. And Father, in, in that, may we learn who You are as we come to You in prayer and as we come to the throne room. Teach us, O Lord, that it is a throne of grace, that there is Jesus seated, because all of the blood that was required has been shed, and there is Jesus standing. That when the accuser shoots his arrows at us and tells us of the guilt within, He ever lives to make intercession for us. And and there seated on that glorious throne is the King. The King who lacks no resource. Father, teach us to pray. For Jesus' sake, amen. Our concluding song uh, this evening is, And Can It Be That I Should Gain. Let's stand to sing these verses together. God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. Paul in Ephesians chapter 3 writes, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.